Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping Folks like me and a job from 9 to 5 Working 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. What a way to make a living Barely getting by it's all taking and no giving They From just use your mind And never give you credit It's enough to drive you Crazy if you let it Nine or five For surface and devotion You would think that I Would deserve a fair promotion I just need to press down on the tab <laughs> Wanna move ahead <laughs> But the boss won't let me I swear sometimes the man is out to get me. That, that chorus is a lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> um. Brought to you by Crunch Corner, providing you with all the sugary, crunchy goodness to get you through your 100 hour week. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Okay then, right, uh, welcome to Stick Around Games episode, who the fuck knows. Um, I'm Alex Wayne. <laughs> uh, Catch it in the edit. <laughs> uh, that, Just not even trying anymore, are you? Uh, that's Dave Peeling. Uh, he's Hello. Clive, he's Clive Fisher. Hi. And over there in the corner is James Flux. Hello there. Um, yeah, so... Uh, it's Big, big month for games. Um, probably the release of the most hyped game of all time ever came out. Um, we've got a real, we've got a real kind of intellectual take on it today. So we're going to be discussing it in a bit of depth. Uh, so we're going to take the capitalist take, and then we've got a proto-communist Marxist take from Clive. Um, <laughs> the perfect candidate so for such a take. We'll see how this goes. Um, aside from Red Dead Redemption Two, has anyone else been playing games? Um, yeah, I've not actually played Red Dead except for around at my friend's house, but um, I've mainly been playing a lot of FIFA. Oh, so getting back, so I'll talk about that. Ooh, which, um, FIFA, perhaps unexpected. Very unexpected. Have you been playing <laughs> some COD in between games? Um, no, I haven't. Well, <laughs> I have actually played the new COD Battle Royale at my little brother's, so I could talk a little bit about that. But um, yeah, ma- mainly been playing FIFA and Pokemon, the you know that famous combo of games wow. that people play. Um, so James Flux, been good. Have you been playing much? Yeah, I've been yeah, I've been playing quite a few. Mate, I did have a holiday in the middle, so uh, there was there was a brief period of inactivity. Oh, but well, wait, think of think of think I've managed to uh, play enough around the edges to have something to talk about today. Cool, Dave. You've been playing much aside from Red Dead. No, right, straight <laughs> into the point. What's happened to MLB the show? Oh, actually, I was playing a lot of that before they released Red Dead, but I think I talked about that before, so I was, I was just going to say no. Yeah. You'd- Fair enough. Okay, well, without any further ado, we're going to go to Dave Peeling, and he's going to give his take on, or at least his initial take, on Red Dead Redemption 2. Thank you, Al. Um, So, for those of you that have been living under a rock, um, and for some reason have decided to wake up from underneath that rock and immediately start listening to a video games podcast, um, (laughs) I'm talking about Red Dead Redemption 2, a Western-themed action uh, video game 
published, uh, developed by Rockstar Games. It's the sequel, well, the prequel even to Red Dead Redemption, which is now eight years old, and it's the um, the kind of third entry in the Red Dead series. Um, it follows the lives of the Vanderlind outlaw gang through the eyes of um, the outlaw Arthur Morgan, and uh, was released on October twenty sixth on PlayStation Four and Xbox One. Um, it's generated $725 million in sales on its opening weekend. So as Al said, it did have a lot of hype building up to it. It had um, uh, a lot of fuss made all about it. And unlike um, perhaps the previous most hyped game we had on this uh, podcast, which was, I would suggest, No Man's Sky, this one actually did live up to some of its hype. The game... Uh, as I say, it's, it's a classic Rockstar open world premise. It's set in 1899. You spend most of your time riding around on horseback, firing guns at people. It's classic. Those are the two kind of, or three kind of things I want from a, from a game like this. It's probably um, one of the best loved features of, the, uh, of Red Dead Redemption, at least was your ability to um, explore an open world on horseback and um, that's definitely here with knobs on. Your kind of key um, key features from the previous game including Deadeye, um, the ability to slow down time and um, tag the body parts of your enemies so that you can um, shoot them in a very quick succession before they get a shot in at you. Uh, that's back as are your kind of classic side quests and main story missions spread out across a very large scale map. First things to say then, the game as it arrives, this is my, this could be my kind of attempt at the um, the unboxing genre here. I, I opened the box and it had two discs in. What? Oh, um, disc. Yeah, so it's the first time I've seen this on a PlayStation 4. It reminds me of um, installing... Uh, Call of Duty off of four discs back on a PC in 1998. But uh, your, your first your first disc is just a data disc. The second disc is the one that you play it off. But you'll need to have 105 gigabytes of space on your PlayStation just to get this thing up and going, which is a spectacular amount of um, data. It takes up over a fifth of the capacity of my PlayStation. And... Uh, you get in the game and you can you can kind of see why the all the talk about the size and scale of this map I think has maybe slightly uh, meant that my uh, get my hand kind of get my hands on it and riding around it has made it seem slightly underwhelming it's definitely extremely big that's fair to say but I think one of the the principal cool moments of the original, sorry, I keep saying the original, I never played the original, but Red Dead Redemption anyway in 2010, there's an extremely uh, memorable moment very early on in the game when you're on your horseback and you ride up uh, the side of a hill and you arrive at the pinnacle and you you clear this cliff and you see the whole map out in front of you spread out for miles and miles and miles and it's incredible it was an incredible moment you didn't get a sense of that scale at the bottom of this hill and they kind of timed it really well and you get there and it, it was incredible and it's really stuck with me you don't get the same kind of moments certainly in the first dozen or so hours as i've as i've played and 
although there is a lot of scale to this to this game, it's it's ne it's it's not so far if I have seen it all on the screen at the same time or even close to it. So yeah, very 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 big. I I understand that most of the data on the disc is taken up with uh, lots of voiceovers and things, and the voice acting here is is really extremely well done. Certainly compared to uh, another open world game I played very recently, Assassin's Creed Origins, a game that I really loved, but you did notice that there were only the same six voice actors, it seems, coming around over and over again. The the game has uh, really brought to life the kind of the the, the end of the of the Wild West period. There are lots of little in jokes, as is the kind of often a feature of De Red Dead games. I'm particularly enjoying it at the moment. I'm stumbling across cuts, well, not cutscenes, but side missions to do with a, uh, a KKK style gang as they um, set themselves on fire and drop heavy crosses on their own heads. It's it's been a lot of fun to play so far. It's uh, a game that I've got completely stuck into, uh, completely lost myself in. It's full of those little side games that the original had, the ability to go and play dominoes at a train station, uh, the the uh, the chance to go fishing and collect um, and collect food. The first kind of main difference in the mechanics of not the mechanics, sorry, but the story of this game compared to the last one is that this time you are in a gang. I've not quite got my head around how many there are in the gang yet, but it's at least ten or twelve. You move in a caravan between campsites, you set up a camp, all your colleagues and friends are there, your fellow outlaws at least, if not friends, and as you go out into the world and gain money through your, uh, through your crimes, you bring it back to the camp, and some of it is for you, but and half of it is for the greater good, for funding this camp, for providing supplies, for upgrading tents for uh, equipping new um, weapons and so on. That's, that's quite different from the last one where you spent a lot of time roaming around by yourself. The game kind of compromises in that it's, it tries to get some of that feel back by often encouraging uh, the gang to split up at various points. But... Um, there is a mix here of that riding out alone to different stories, but the the gang dynamic is a very different feel from the original, from the last one even. The um, what, what it does mean, though, is that some of these little side tasks like going off and playing dominoes or, or fighting a fillet or fishing or hunting or so on, you do with some of these other characters. And unlike lots of games, um, they've, they've really gone to the effort to fill out those elements with story, so you can go and play a game of dominoes with one of the characters in your uh, in your gang and you learn more about uh, how you got to where you got to or a bit about their lives or someone else in the gang and it adds a lot of colour and story and texture. There's lots of depth here and um, it can be quite intimidating at the start. I didn't have a clue who all these people were in this gang and they weren't necessarily well introduced. Uh, you kind of pick it up as you as you chat to other people. The, the controls in this game are fairly standard first person, sorry, third person shooter. However, if I had some uh, critical comments to make about the kind of controls in, in this game, there's an awful lot reliant on making moves through menus whilst on horseback or in 
gunfights that are very complicated and not a session, not very straightforward to pick up on. Riding on horseback whilst holding down L2 to then tap R1 to move to the next menu and then holding R2 and then releasing R L2 to select your mask is not the most straightforward way of handling a situation. Another critique of of the game, I must say it does not introduce mechanics well. You'll find out that you have Deadeye, this feature as I mentioned before, tagging people in slow motion. It puts it on the screen once in the top left corner, not as a main feature, it doesn't pause the game to explain it. Pops up in the top left hand corner for all of five seconds and if you don't catch that, you've missed it and it's gone. And it doesn't explain again how you use this feature. It does that with just about every mechanic that you pick up at various points. I missed the ability to manually tag people in, in uh, Deadeye until I just happened to discover that that was a thing that you can do um, uh, reading a, uh, an article on, on the game. So there are, there are lots of di different bits and pieces that pop up in that way. Very quickly, never explained again, aren't stored anywhere. You, you, your character writes a journal throughout and it kind of is a bit of a commentary on the game and the missions and your choices as you made them so far. And there's also the controls uh, in, the, in the menus, but none of them actually go into any detail about all these extremely useful and uh, necessary features. Another big one I found is the dueling Often when you encounter characters, they, uh, they might challenge you to a duel and you have to slowly pull R2, the right trigger on a PlayStation 4 controller, to allow yourself time to aim before fully pressing the button to shoot. And I have absolutely not got my head around what it is they're trying to ask me to do here. The amount of duels I've been in where they have shot before I've even had a chance to get anywhere near the trigger, the amount of duels I've been in where I've seemingly been pulling the trigger for over a minute and then still nothing seems to be happening. Each and every time I end up in a duel, I go through it eight times until I kind of fluke a win out of it. Again, it's it's not well explained, it's not intuitive. Um, there's definitely more that could have been done there. The game features a um, morality scale. Um, it's, a, it's a feature that I've seen in lots of games over the years and again, as with previous ones, I'm not fully inspired by it. The idea is that as you make your way through the world, you are almost always presented with two options, two outcomes in a, in a mission, uh, in a confrontation with someone. You can either take the honourable route or the dishonourable route, as it calls it in this game. The honourable route might be, for example, in a duel, shooting the gun out of someone's hands rather than shooting them in the face. The dishonourable would be to rob someone as you see them out in the outback on their horse um, for whatever money that they have on them. These are, are um, always distinctions that seem uh, superfluous. It's not difficult to take the honourable option. I've not had it come back to haunt me on any occasion yet. I have a feeling that one or two of the people that I've decided to let go rather than execute may well go back and inform their boss about where I am or something in a future mission. But that's not going to be a difficult thing for me to solve. And that probably adds a layer of the story that someone who decides to execute a person would not benefit from. 
it does not come naturally to me to ride around the world robbing people either. So it's not a great discomfort to not be dishonourable. The character John Marsden, as, as you play in stories when you're in the story-driven bits of dialogue, makes it very clear that he is a Robin Hood character. He steals from the rich to give to the poor. That's the idea behind him. He makes generous contributions to the camp to ensure the well-being of the women and children in it. So the idea that he would then go off and rob from other women and children in the world is entirely counterintuitive. It's a it's a feature that doesn't sit well with me and it seems uh, totally unnecessary. I've come across this feature in many, many games in the past and it sometimes speaks to the game's replayability that you could go back and make all these different choices and you come up with different outcomes. But like the similar feature in, say, a Fallout game where you, where you can, you, you, you know, there are many branched options that affect the ultimate outcome of the game. You'd have played it for a hundred hours. Who's going to go back and replay it, making all those choices the opposite? It seems very unlikely to me. And the honorability scale in the, in this game is 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 a is a kind of running total. So if you've just made twenty honorable decisions and then one dishonorable, you'll still end up at plus nineteen. You've not become greatly different at the end of it. Which is, I suppose, good because there have been occasions where I've accidentally shot someone that I didn't mean to shoot. And that is uh, another kind of feature of the not quite quick time events, but certainly the fairly uh, abrupt nature of some of the gunfights that you'll take part in or the flipping to duels that that arises in. There are lots of little niggles with... um, with controls that you often get in open world games, making sure that you're perfectly aligned to search a cupboard and not slap your own horse on the backside so it kicks you in the face, being a particular favourite of mine so far. That said, those those things seem small in comparison to the grand ambition of the game. The, the story is very well put together. I'm really enjoying um, trying to work out what's going to happen next. Um, the characters are all not well-rounded, but they're all distinctive and have an interesting angle that develops the game as, as you progress through it. I have a pretty good idea where the game is going to be going, and as I say, it's a prequel to the other one, so there should be bits and pieces that you're picking up. It looks truly, truly beautiful. Um, the game starts up in the mountains, you tramp around through two f- feet of snow, and um, I'm a few hours in and I'm already in a kind of Louisiana deep south, uh, which is a very different feel again. Um, some of the detailing is fantastic, both in the way that it looks and some of the, uh, the ways that people talk and characters uh, and storylines based on kind of uh, where the world was in 1899. Uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely lived up to... Um, my hopes for it, which is which is always going to be difficult for it, but I think it's done it very well. I'm really enjoying playing the game, um, and I'd be very interested to hear what you guys have got to say about it. Um, well, I'll, I'll say my thoughts now, just because they're very, very uh, well. There's not I haven't got a great deal to say right now, but I am <clears throat> still in the first camp stage after the mountains. Uh, so I've played it maybe maybe a couple of hours, but I've mainly just been exploring. Um, 
I don't think I've had the same issues with the controls as you have, but I'm, I'm yet to actually have a duel, so I think I've played a lot less than you. Um, <coughs> all I can say is that the, you know, visually, aesthetically, and it is absolutely stunning. Um, the world does feel truly alive. I'm aware that this is obviously a mirage, if if as such, but um, I genuinely get get the impression playing it that I'm existing in some in a world where other things are happening simultaneously, which are not just for my benefit. Mm. Um, I, th- I feel like the gameplay is, fr- from what I've played at least, largely similar to the first game, but I don't have a problem with that. And I have, enjo- I have enjoyed the storyline so far. So we'll get on to issues with the way the game was made rather than maybe the game itself later, uh, which I do have a problem with. But um, all I can say is, you know, Everyone thought slavery was amazing when it made the pyramids, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's all my thoughts of an hour. So I, I've been... It's been genuinely excellent so far. Um, but maybe I'll find more of the issues that you have the more I play it. Um, I think Flux... I'm guessing Flux will have played it a bit more than I have. Uh, probably not, mate, actually. I'm, I'm similar to you in that I'm in that kind of first camp stage um, after coming down from the mountains. I haven't played it a great deal. I'm kind of a midway between you and Dave, I think, on the controls issues. I have had a few times where I've thought, oh, I can't remember what the control is to do this specific thing. And it's, as Dave said, it doesn't it doesn't record it anywhere, so it's really difficult. So you sort of just have to spend a minute just pressing buttons that you're like, oh, is it this one? Oh, no, no, that's not done the thing I want it to do. What about this? And... I do find that annoying. A list of controls somewhere in the options that you could go to every so often when you're like, oh, I can't remember how to do this specific thing would be really helpful. And the fact that it's not there can be inconvenient. Um, also, in terms of introducing skills, I kind of agree with Dave on that. The thing I had a in the first town in Valentine, that's where you first learn the mechanics, I think, of like fighting, of brawling. And But I did a mission that I felt needed that mechanic before the option to choose in a sandbox environment i'm all for but i needed those skills that i hadn't yet learnt in a mission that i decided to do first that was the mission that gets you into the town so it's not it's not outrageous that i would pick this mission first i've not gone miles on ahead to pick this mission and i was like oh i don't know what i'm doing here i'm being punched but i can't I can't engage in the combat back because I don't know what the controls are to do that. So I was using the right trigger, which you expect to be the weapon button, to kind of swing a punch, and it wasn't doing. And instead, I sort of essentially nearly got beaten up before I happened to pull out my knife and just stab the guy, <laughs> which was fine, and it worked, and it, it did what I needed to do. But I'd have much rather have known what the combat mechanics are to brawl that out and knock him out to resolve the issue rather than have stabbed him to death. Now, it's possible stabbing him to death is the only option, but I don't know that because I didn't know what the controls were to defend the brawl and deal with it in a way other than to just pull out my knife and stab him. But in terms of the kind of high-level aspects of the game, I agree with both of you. It's absolutely visually stunning. It is clearly huge, albeit how huge it is, I agree with Dave. I, I at this moment in time have nowhere near touched upon being in that first kind of camp area, but the area around that camp is massive. So to move on to a number of different style areas, such as the deep south that Dave's talking about, I absolutely can't wait for. And it is really enjoyable. The story is clearly well. F- I mean, like every Rockstar sandbox game, 
they put a lot of detail and a lot of work into it and that makes it great now again their business practices and the the reason that they put that much work into it okay there might be something there but they do do an incredible job and they are clearly led by people who are obsessives as to the nature of quality of the game and that shows when you pick it up it is incredible quality and the visuals are stunning and the mechanics do work well albeit yes okay I'm, I could have probably done with some more guidance during the beginning until I get to master those through 100 hours of gameplay so yeah not played it a great deal but really enjoying it so far definitely looking forward to playing it more definitely looking forward to exploring the land more um, yeah and with the final thoughts Clive what are your thoughts um, right, well, I'll get into the layer stuff in a second, which is why I haven't bought the game. But um, I've played um, a couple of hours at a friend's house um, just to kind of see what it was like. And yeah, it did. It does look absolutely gorgeous, but to me it felt a bit like, and I don't know anything about the story, I was just kind of pissing about, basically. So, um, And I will get to playing it eventually, and I'm sure I'll like it a lot more then. But um, in that respect, I just felt it was a like a PS3 game that looked really pretty. Like the the controls is my main issue with it. It felt like why are we still tapping X to run? I was like, what the fuck? This is you know, there's things have improved uh, on that for since about five years. <laughs> um, I don't understand why that's still a thing. That just felt wrong, and I just felt the whole way he kind of moved around. And when he was walking, he was so slow. I was like, is, 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 does he go any faster than this? I like, know you got to run. I was like, okay. Um, that's interesting. It just felt like um, that it was everything was done to be realistic rather than fun. Like I had to remember to take my rifle off, rifle off my horse every time. I get in a gunfight, be like, oh shit, I left my rifle on my horse. It's like why can't I just carry my rifle the entire time um, <laughs> or carry all my stuff? Um, yeah, sure, it's unrealistic that I've got all this inventory and I'm carrying it all at once. But it's a computer game, and that's what I want to do. I don't want to <clears throat> worry about. Uh, picking stuff up and dealing with stupid in- inventory management uh, just to make it realistic. So yeah, I was kind of, yeah, I soured on it a little bit, but obviously I'll go into now where I probably I went into it with a bit of a, <laughs> a negative attitude anyway. But it does look um, it does look fabulous for sure. Um, I was really, really impressed with how it looked, especially because I don't know anyone with a PS4 Pro. Um, the, the person I played it at had just had a standard PS4 and it's, it looked absolutely amazing. So I can't imagine what it looks like on a, on a PS4 Pro or even an Xbox One X where it probably looks the best. Um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the reason I haven't bought it is just because I got um, Dan Hauser mainly, just pissed me off really. Um, he had a, so there was an, an initial interview in Vulture, uh, which started this whole thing off, where he basically boasted about the fact they'd been working 100 hour weeks uh, to get the game finished, which is a bit like, um, the, to be fair, I didn't think the article was very good. Like the journalist, the Vulture journalist didn't ask anything about that at all. Just the comment was made and then there was nothing asked about it. Possibly because Dan Hauser has let this guy inside. Uh, so he feels like I need to give a positive <laughs> or whatever. And the guy who'd written the thing obviously didn't think it was a negative thing, I didn't think. Um, but it just felt like it's nothing to boast about. You know, 100-hour work weeks are not healthy. Fair enough if you're passionate and in and kind of in charge and need to do that, then that's kind of cool. But um, don't boast about it and claim it shows passion. It doesn't. It shows poor planning and management. Um, you could extend the game out. You can delay it further. Everyone's going to fucking buy the game if you release it in, you know, another year. You're going to make shit tons of money. Or you could just um, hire some more people. Look, look after, yeah, hire some more people. That's the main thing. That's what um, 
you know, um, there's there's been other examples where a, a different way of doing it rather than just working your people to the bone and yourself. Um, like I say, working himself to the bone is completely his choice and that's fine. But um, it's the culture that you set in a company that's important here, I think, rather than just going, oh, yeah. And I think we're, the problem is that there's this split of people, and this is in general the workplace, um, and I'm going to go into later a personal experience of this, um, which has deeply affected me. But um, it's we've got this problem of people... The, the idea of working 70, 80-hour weeks shows that you're passionate and therefore means that you should be getting promoted. And the people who are like, well, no, I want to work 40 hours a week and I've got a family at home or I've got other things that I'm interested in. And I am passionate about my work, but I want to do other things as well. And those people are seen as lazy and uh, <laughs> can't struggle to get anywhere um, just because of this stupid attitude that you have to work 70, 80 hours a week to show that you're passionate about that particular thing. So we kind of tried to um, come back on this and claim that it was only three or four of us in the writing team and that no one was made to work um, these hours. But a few, again, with the word passionate, a few passionate senior people in the role may have worked similar hours because they were passionate or I'm probably misquoting slightly here, but that was the general gist. And again, with the passion, I was like, can we just stop with the work hours equals passion narrative, please? It's toxic. And um, it just tells me the type of guy he is like Mr. I'll sit and do 60 hours is going to be deemed to be more passionate and get a raise than the guy who is doing 40 hours a week and equally passionately and equally well and, um, you know, going home to do other things passionately, whether it be hanging out with his family or, you know, doing pursuing. Uh, having other pursuits that he wants to do. Jason Schreier, who's one of my favourite um, video game uh, journalists, I think is absolutely excellent, um, who's writes for Kotaku, he wrote um, a whole big article about this, which I'd urge you to check out, which provides um, really good arguments on... It's a really balanced argu- um, article, actually. It's not just like, oh, this is all bad. Um, <laughs> it prevents arguments from both sides, but had a couple of um, particularly alarming am- anecdotes to me. One of people straight up getting emailed that they were expected to put in more than 60 hours which, again, kind of goes against Hauser's idea that this was a choice. Um, There's another couple of anecdotes of someone receiving a letter claiming they'd worked less than 60 hours with that part highlighted in red. Jason had to um, admit, like he starts the article saying he had to admit certain stories of mental health problems and family problems caused by what many... um, people what many people separately called either hadn't talked to each other a culture of fear at the company um, and just that was a bit like yep i obviously can understand it it's going to make if you you can't put those stories in because it's going to make it obvious who said it because these stories are incredibly personal so that was just yeah that was kind of sad because that's the kind of thing i've experienced uh, which i'll get into in a minute but um hauser was then interviewed again this bear in mind, this is the third time and this is after the, all this shit's kind of blown up um, and this is he said this and i was just like what is this guy real and it's the it's the this is part of a quote and it's that games are still magical it's like they're made by elves you turn on the screen and it's just this world that exists on tv i think you gain something by not knowing how they're made as much as we might lose something in terms of people's respect for what we do, their enjoyment of what we uh, their enjoyment of what we do is enhanced, which is probably more important. Uh, you serious? Um, I just thought that was so baffling; it's unreal. Our enjoyment is not more important than the mental health and lives of your workers. What the fuck world do you live in? Uh, I just thought that that was just a really unbelievable quote. I was like, what? Yeah, I mean, fair enough if you think if it's just you working on your project. It's not just you. You've got, you've got to be mindful of the fact he owns a company of thousands and thousands of employees that are all building up to his vision. Yeah, he's got this... Like when I sit and make a song and I spend 
I'm not going to spend 100 hour work week on my song. Uh, I've got other things to do, but uh, let's say I did. Um, that's my song and no one else is working on it. It's just me. Um, that's kind of fine. Um, if someone else is doing your vision, if some guy's coding the fact that if I turn left and press this button, this happens, that's not his vision. He's spending 100 hours on your vision. So, you know, it just it doesn't really add up. Um, so... Yeah, I just thought it was baffling. And every time they've spoken to him, I've just thought he just seems like a completely kind of just clueless about the whole situation. And it's 2018, not... He just seems like, you know, the kind of work practice that they probably had in when they started in the 90s. And it was cool to work 100-hour weeks and uh, <laughs> uh, work your ass off in this game and be like, you know, like the name implies, a bit rock star and uh, sticking it to the man. But it would be really refreshing if now, as one of the biggest companies, they kind of led the way in being, oh, you know what, we're going to be rock and roll and uh and have reasonable working hours <laughs> and uh and kind of blaze a trail in that respect uh, because that's the way things should be going um so yeah it kind of it struck a chord with me in particular and as you can tell i'm pr- i'm pretty angry about it because of uh, of my experience in a previous teaching workplace where the idea of passion was continuously uh, used to justify long working hours you know it's for the kids if you don't work 60 hours you clearly don't care etc 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 which is all bollocks you know, at this place, I was working 60 hours a week. Uh, again, nowhere near the 100 hours a week. I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, 60 hours was horrendous. And uh, was regularly made to feel, you know, lazy, uncaring, not directly, but indirectly by the culture of the place, uh, which is what it sounds like the, the situation is here. I worked my ass off and I was never good enough. And these things, you know, they have long-term effects. Like um, Jason Trash said, there was lots of particular elements of, you know, effects on mental health that he couldn't go into because of he didn't want to reveal the people who'd... Um, said the stories um it led to me this particular thing led to me and it's become clear with therapy developing some pretty severe like very specific anxiety issues to do with being in the classrooms that have essentially now meant i've decided to leave the profession even though my current workplace is much better and it's really supportive i've just been unable to recover from the damage done from that previous workplace and i think You've got to be mindful of these things when you run a place. <laughs> You've got to be actively proactive in these kind of things and um, just set a good example and don't be a dick, basically. And like I say, Rockstar's one of the biggest video games companies. They should be, you know, I hope now they turn it around and, and change his views. But based on his interviews, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like the kind of guy is going to. So, yeah, I was just disappointed. I was deeply angered and affected by the crap going on there. And I just thought, it, it's just put me off the game like I, I don't really want to play it because I can't really separate it from that um, it's not that I think a boycott is a good idea like um, Schreier himself says in the article they, they say buy the game you know they get the, they get bonuses for how well it sells it's obviously sold really well now but um, that doesn't mean I want to you know there's people out there going oh but you're, you're not um, you, all those people's hard work you're not uh, sort of backing it by not playing it I was like well I don't have to you know it's it's more to it than that i don't want to play it <laughs> and that's fine <laughs> to, to me it's more than just the game i can't separate the two and that's fine that's what i'm like okay but some people are, have this idea that that makes you uh, uh, an art is however someone wants to experience it you know if someone can't separate the fact that kevin spacey has done some shit and doesn't want to watch the film then that's cool with them you know then that's the that's the I'm totally fine. That's fine. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Um, and this is a similar thing. And I think I will play it eventually once I've sort of um, once my feelings are less strong on the matter, I suppose. But yeah, I just I've just been pissed off, and I just think it's all a big. Uh, I just think it was disappointing. I suppose I'm not mad at you, Rockstar. I'm just very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> wow, very very disappointing. And, and to be fair, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. Um, I haven't had your workplace experience, uh, thankfully, but. Um, 
But yes, I can understand why that would go. I think as it's like like what you said there, it's it's people who are expecting or people in charge expecting other people to um put in colossal amounts of work so you can make a humongous profit. Um mm-hmm. it's you know forty hours is, is fine. Maybe all right, you can put yourself in a little bit of extra time, but you know, hundred hour weeks, come on, you're kidding me. Literally, as I said, as we covered in the song, that would be, if that was le- legitimately true Monday to Friday, that's 9am to 5am. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't literally <laughs> that, but... <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy. It, it's weird, really, because um, there's plenty of stuff like this. It's a bit like um, buying something off Amazon, you know. Mm-hmm. You enjoy the service, but then you think, well, Amazon are not paying all these taxes. <laughs> oh, yeah, for It becomes sure. increasingly difficult in this day and age to enjoy the things that are good without compromising yourself morally <laughs> yeah i think it's nigh on impossible to be like a responsible capitalist uh, <laughs> i think it's kind of an oxymoron but um yeah it, i guess it just depends like if if i heard a story um if i'd probably just read a story about amazon then i probably would be the same it's because i've not heard it and it's under the surface and it's i'm a bit ignorant to it it doesn't feel as bad um whereas and also, it's not a 60-hour experience, me buying something off Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. It's a different thing. It's like I'm paying 50 quid to experience something for 60 hours where the entire time I'm just thinking, oh, they, did they really need to make that? <laughs> or did they really need to letterbox the entire thing? Apparently that happened like in the last uh, stages of production, uh, the, the letterbox cinematic mode thing, and they had to re- th- redo like every entire thing uh, to make it fit properly, and it just took fucking hours. And just decisions like that, I'm just like... Ugh think i'll just play through it and not not enjoy it so i have to wait <laughs> yeah cool i mean um it's compromised but it's as i said <laughs> i made it as a joke but um I, I think i think it is a bit like the pyramids i think it is a spectacular achievement um not without its flaws though um but we'll see how it stands later on i think yeah for sure we'll uh, yeah hopefully i'll play it before the end of the year <laughs> so i can if I could have one kind oh, of summing ahead, up yeah. thought, I think I'd I would I'm like Clive, I think the crunch, as it is called, I think is a problem across a lot of digital media and games in particular. And I, I certainly don't think it's just Rockstar that does this. I, I I think it's an inherent problem within the games industry. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right. I think with Rockstar it seems to be not just at the crunch time though, it seems to be like throughout the year. Yes, and I agree that yeah. there, there may well be something to that. And I kind of, I'm kind of with you, Clive. That I hope that what will happen is the kind of the articles that have been written and the stories that have come out will be enough to make the games industry as a whole think, yeah, okay, this isn't right. Yeah, we and you know, delaying a game, particularly with the likes of Rockstar, delaying a game isn't going to affect sales to the point whereby it's worth kind of the ill health of people that work for us and that we're supposed to be responsible for and I hope that the games industry as a whole changes off the back of off the back of this whether it will or not I suppose remains to be seen but I think that's perhaps part of the issue that because it's a culture everywhere even if it's worse at one specific company it's not like you can leave that company and go somewhere else because let's face it it's going to be just as bad yeah, I mean, there isn't. I think one of the main problems is there is no um, sort of union for uh, workers in video game companies, whereas there is for actors and voice actors and all those kind of things, <coughs> which means they have very little power. <laughs> exactly, and uh, do you know what I mean? I hope I hope the industry does change, 
like I said, I wouldn't have minded waiting another year. I, I really wouldn't, and I doubt I doubt there are many people that bought the game that would have gone. Oh, I have to wait another year. I'm not buying it when it comes out. No way. <laughs> yeah. So, and they know the level of money they're going to make from it. They are the only, as I understand, video game company that is allowed an unlimited budget on their games. They don't have to answer to anyone else, and the shareholders accept. Look, we will spend whatever it takes because we know we're going to make it back massively. Mm-hmm. So, do you know what I mean? They they could have done better, and they haven't. And I hope that what's happening now will lead to it being better but yeah definitely i suppose that remains to be seen well that's a, i mean yeah, that's the the bonus of these journalists isn't it that's what hopefully they're gonna <laughs> and that's the just people talking about it and i know it got into mainstream um, news as well because a couple of my friends who aren't particularly into video games mentioned it to me and asked me about it so i was like ah oh, so that's kind of cool um so yeah it's getting a bigger voice so hopefully something will be done about it and it'll be like going forward now I imagine game, when games come out it's the kind of question that journalists are going to ask uh, <laughs> and so businesses are going to have to be a bit more savvy with the way they think about the <clears throat> the whole thing mm. well it's like, I think the easiest solution is just fair enough you don't want to compromise your quality and fair enough you want to stick to some deadlines so just hire a few mm-hmm. more people you know yeah, so yeah. instead of having somebody working one person working a hundred hour week, maybe hiring one extra person, maybe they do fifty hours each, which is still quite a lot, but you know it's less ridiculous, you know, and no mm-hmm. expectation. It's, you know, the profit Grand Theft Auto Five. I'm sure I read something along the lines of it has it's the biggest in terms of profit. It's the the most profitable piece of media ever created. So I'm not saying yeah, this will nec- so. not, I'm not saying this will necessarily do quite as well, but you know, comprom- how much money can you spend? Really, you know, you can make a lot of profit still, and maybe make the working conditions a little bit better. Yeah, it's that's interesting. That you, I I agree that that's probably the way it goes, but there's there's a, there's a, a big fundamental problem with the the model for selling games, isn't there? that G- well, Grand Theft Auto V is probably the exception because when they made that game, they had no idea. They couldn't have reasonably expected that five years on, it would still be in the top 10 biggest selling games in any given year. It's, it's consistently up there and it has a monstrous online following and they've const- constantly put money and effort and they must have a massive staff still working on that game five years on which very few other games ever do and yeah they've obviously made a lot of profit on it it's not dropped in price in the time that it's been released no other i can't think of another game where that is the case a a game comes out at 50 quid and everyone everyone squirms because that feels like a lot of money for a for yeah yeah that's definitely another issue yeah if, <laughs> but it definitely isn't. <laughs> well, it, it isn't if you had an idea of how big an effort it was to put together. Mm-hmm. If you, I, I, I imagine that if the market were forced to only pay that for every game for a long time, then sales would probably drop. There's a there's a weird. There's obviously, and it it yeah it it absolutely is the point you were making, Clive about. Um, about kind of benevolent capitalism or, or whatever, um, that you, you put that price up to a price that means that everyone gets paid a living wage on a normal working week and no one would buy the game, 
there's they've got to there's 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 got to be another solution. I I don't know what it is, but in a in an era where you have you can only reasonably rely on turning a profit from a game. As I say, GTA Five is such an exception, and if they turn it around in this game as well with its online feature when it comes and maybe they work on that model and that might be the way to do it but but front loading all your all your uh, income in such a way means that you're so very reliant on that original price and and getting out a game in time to make sure that your cash flow into the company means that you can continue to be profitable so yeah i understand what you're saying about delaying it a year or two but if that's a year or two where they don't make any money, then it becomes so much harder for them to carry on employing people to get them to the to, to, to the end to actually deliver the thing to make the money. It's such a catch. I'm I'm not defending it by any means, but there's got to be a better way for the for the video games industry to for the consumer for the money that it needs to 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 develop the games in the first place. I did not spend 50 quid on this game originally and in three months you'd be out of your mind to be spending that amount of money. No one, you know, you, in, in three months everyone, everyone mm-hmm. the vast majority I imagine of units bought and sold will be second hand. It's the money, the money would have gone from the, from the unit it seems to me. What GTA 5 have done is spent an awful lot of time and effort on making sure that it continues to be profitable for a long time afterwards with its online offer and I imagine that and I don't know, this this is just a guess, that that kind of work is less deadline driven and is less hard on the staff in the in, in the office developing the the content because of its kind of ongoing and not so dramatic in scale nature. So maybe that's the kind of model that more games need to be thinking about as they try and work towards creating an environment that developers should be working in. Which I think is a, I, there's a lot of good points to be made. And I think that's the problem with the video games industry is that it's one of the few, whilst it is an industry that I think is one of the many that has a specific problem around this issue as you rightly point out it's one of the very few where all of your capital and income comes at the end of the process so you can't sell a game half finished for a lesser price and and fair enough there is a model that they're looking into of buying games earlier and doing those things and I, i think that's all very helpful but it's not a surprise that a lot of studios and things go out of business when games get delayed because actually, as you rightly point out, cash flow is a really difficult scenario in the games industry because you kind of have to make the product and then sell it at the end. And it's not an ongo- as an ongoing process as constantly making something and turning it out like a you know making clothes or, or of a similar thing. You kind of have to wait until this one thing is finished and then sell loads of it in bulk then and that's where you make your money and you kind of have to finance up front where i think rocks are in a unique position is as you rightly point out nothing like gta 5 has ever happened before and they are perhaps now in a position where their funds and their the amount of money they have is such that they probably can afford to delay red that they can afford to do those things and still fairly easily keep the wolf from the door in terms of stopping the studios and maybe if they could take that and take the 
inordinate amount of money I'm sure they will make from this game to kind of turn things around then and you know possibly extend deadlines or not have as strict deadlines to start with thinking of in that kind of profit driven way then hopefully you know once the lead once the market leader changes their business practices it then tends to follow suit for the rest of the industry albeit i accept it's going to be much more difficult for the rest of the industry to regulate their cash flow in the same way that rockstar probably can afford to do and like i say it's not a surprise that studios go out of business so frequently which is a shame but it's almost certainly because that cash flow isn't there they need a backer they need a big finance backer to kind of stake all the money and ultimately you're answerable to that person and if they say no it's taken long enough we can't give you any more well we're turning off the tap there's not really much you can do um but hopefully the big kind of triple a studios that probably can afford to kind of relax their deadlines and manage things differently will Mm. do so that hopefully another way of funding or something will happen within the market that can change things but i there are a lot of good points i think on both sides i think it's difficult it's a difficult industry to work in in terms of regulating cash flow and that often probably leads to bad business practices and hopefully there's a way that both of those issues can be solved by a change in the industry or a change in the way games are funded or yeah. something like that i think one of the good things that's come in like a, a lot of people whinge about like um you know buying skins or whatever in call of duty but i think that is a good way of <laughs> someone buys the game full price and then they there is another way for them to make money afterwards a bit like with gta online they've made tons and they will do with red dead online i'm sure it allows people to keep putting money into the game and as long as that's done in a kind of unobtrusive way there is going to be people out there who have way too much money who you know put money into the game and and uh fund the keep keep the profits coming in if you know what i mean whereas if there's just if it's something that you buy and then there's no option of anything afterwards then it, you know you're limited to having to have really really good sales but Another thing I think that needs to be considered is compromising when you're making a game. Um, you know, what can you realistically make? Do we need to have horse testicles that change size when it gets cold and warm? Is that something that re- someone really needs to spend their time doing? Or can we yes. focus on the things that are really important in the game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, th- those kind of things. And going, okay, well, maybe we haven't got enough money to do this. Maybe we'll just focus it on this. Um, and being a bit more realistic in that respect rather than, you know, not every building that's built is you know 700 meters tall uh <laughs> just because it would be like oh well that one's bigger now way well done um sometimes it doesn't just need to be bigger sometimes you need to you know maybe focus on different areas of the game um and yeah rockstar is one that can keep making these worlds bigger because they've got shit tons of money and they can do it and they know it's going to be a success and when red dead online comes out they're going to be absolutely fine and it'll probably make maybe not as much as a gta 5 but it'll make absolutely shit tons you can guarantee mm. it um so yeah, they, they they can do these things, but other studios need to be a bit more, a bit like indies. You know, they don't you don't see massive open world games from indies. They focus on different things. They know what their budget is. They know we've got five people, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna focus on this particular aspect. And you know, so I think that's another th- compromise. But yeah, definitely that um, what Dave points out about people complaining something being fifty quid is is a big point because games development has got way way more expensive, but the games have basically stayed the same price. They've gone up maybe like a tenner. Uh, which is probably more or less just in line with inflation. Because um, I remember buying N64 games back in the day for the equivalent of 50 quid, um, and they were way cheaper to develop because it wasn't HD. You didn't need all these massive teams um, that you do now, um, and it's not really... So that's something that needs to be considered and somehow 
just the, the general consumer needs to realise that, yeah, paying 50 quid for a game is actually quite reasonable. But I suppose it's also difficult with when you've got this amount of stuff coming out, <laughs> which, again, I don't know if there needs to be this amount of stuff coming out. I think it could be... We could delay it and um, keep things. But, yeah, there's there's many sides to it for sure. But I just thought, particularly in Rockstar's case, they could be blazing a trail in the right direction with the amount of money they have, and they're totally not. Um, and that was kind of disappointing. Okay, well, let's... Um let's move this on to happier times maybe um, <laughs> yeah James Flux I believe you wanted to talk about another big release go ahead Ooh. yes so in the last pod um, we talked about the games we were most excited to see and Dave stole Red Dead with the first pick in the draft as it <laughs> were um, and so I suggested I was very excited for another game uh, which is the uh, recent PlayStation exclusive release of Spider-Man, uh, developed by Insomniac Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Um, this is kind of the the game I think that was hoped to break the the curse of well the so-called curse of the Spider-Man game, which is that Spider-Man games tend to be uh, <laughs> rather they don't tend to live up to their hype, shall we say? It tends to be a character that. Despite being really well known, kind of can't hasn't been translated into the kind of video games arena particularly well um, for a number of different reasons, um, and it was kind of hoped if there was one studio that could perhaps break that mold, it would be Insomniac, the kind of creators of the kind of crazy, funny, movement-driven games like Sunset Overdrive, which I reviewed way way back in Games Episode Thirteen. If you want to dig that out. Um, the story kind of takes place uh, with an adult Peter Parker that doesn't bother delving into his origins, which, let's face it, everyone knows by now, and kind of takes place after the arrest of the Kingpin and deals with the kind of emergence of a new threat and the power vacuum that ensues from that. I don't think that's a spoiler because that's like the first mission. And I'll save any kind of suspense of, oh, did I like it, did I not, by just saying, yeah, I really enjoyed it and and this is why. I think where a lot of Spider-Man games in the past have fallen down is they haven't got the movement right. They haven't kind of got web swinging right. They haven't got, and it's felt very linear and okay, I can swing in a straight line and keep doing that, but that's not enjoyable. And Insomniac, like I say, that they are the studio to fix this and they have. Swinging around New York City feels brilliant and the reason it feels brilliant is twofold I think and it's number one that Spider-Man does a great job kind of reacting to the environment that he's in and you know fire escapes and things change the way he moves and that's brilliant and the second is that they don't just focus on web swinging I think that's where a lot of the games const- oh the thing he's known for is swinging by the web so let's fix let's do a mechanic to do that and then that'll that Whereas they've kind of thought of the movement in a much more kind of holistic way. So it's not just swinging via the web, it's using the web to zip, it's running up walls, it's kind of zipping to a certain point and then leaping off that. And all those things that Spider-Man also does in films and comic media that games perhaps haven't focused on as much. And so it works really, really well. It's genuinely fun to swing around New York City. It's so intuitive in terms of controlling the movement and staying in the kind of rooftops and swinging between buildings and turning corners and things like that 
and it gives you a real kind of sense of the kind of speed of swinging and stuff like that the way they kind of the way you can turn a corner and the dynamic transitions and you can use the web zip to build up some speed and you can swing and jump out of your swing quickly to increase your speed and those sorts of things give you that real sense of actually being spider-man and kind of swinging from building to building and it's fantastic one of the other reasons I like the game, and I suppose you could maybe consider it a downside depending on your perspective, is that I think they have done a brilliant job of looking at other games and taking the mechanics that work from those and incorporating them, but perhaps with a bit of a Spider-Man-focused twist. Arkham, the Arkham series, is clearly a huge influence. But why not? It's the market leader. They're not making any more, so you know, it's not like you're kind of stealing away their customers. And they did a fantastic job, and Insomniac have realised that. So things like the combat are clearly heavily influenced by the Arkham games, and in fact the combat's very, very similar, kind of using square as a kind of general attack button, and then having um, circle, this is on the PlayStation controls, obviously it's a PlayStation exclusive, um, and kind of using circle, rather than perhaps as a counter which... Um, the triangle equivalent button would be in Arkham. Instead, that kind of uses his spider sense to dodge. And so rather than kind of having it the same as Batman, whereby oh, it's a big, long series of you punching and then countering and getting into a big thing, it's kind of more about dodging and being quick and being Spider-Man and getting out of the way and kind of almost kind of regulating your combat between big bursts of, yeah, okay, I'm in control, I'm in control. Oh, okay, someone's going to come there. A big units come in or something that I can't just overpower. I'm going to need to get away and use a gadget or use something and kind of use the pace of Spider-Man and use his agility to keep the fight going and I think that that works really well. Um, I think there's, again, there's kind of a number of stealth missions kind of similar to the Predator missions of um, the Arkham games that, again, it works really well because instead of kind of trapping him in a smaller environment which they seem to do in Arkham which worked brilliantly they kind of expand it to a larger environment because Spider-Man's much quicker and has much more ability to move than Batman does and so by creating these slightly bigger areas, not massively so and definitely certain, some of the missions are in kind of indoor environments that are probably the same size as an Arkham style stealth mission but by having the wider ones as well, it kind of just gives you that benefit and you approach it slightly differently. Whereas in Batman, you'd kind of zip from point to point to point to point and kind of pick off one by one. I found with this, I kind of think about it a bit more in terms of using the gadgets first and where can I place gadgets to get in the right way of patrols so that then I can attack from a specific angle to get a few guys out and whilst the other guys at the other end are being attacked by gadgets and then swap around and... Um, so whilst they're inspired by Arkham it's not like they've copied it directly and everything is the same, it's not but it's taken all the good things they did and incorporated them and like I say I can't see any negative to that other than if you were like oh well it's just the same as Arkham which fair enough if you weren't huge fans of those games then maybe that's a fair criticism but they're brilliant games and they're not coming out anymore so this is an absolutely excellent time to use them I think another good dynamic or a reason why this is better than some of the other Spider-Man games is that it has much more of a balance of being Spider-Man and being Peter Parker. And again, I think you want to be Spider-Man. That's why you play the game. That's that's the kind of protagonist that you're looking to be. But actually, the thing that has made him great as a character often is the kind of the aspect of Peter Parker 
and kind of his teenage angst in terms of the early years and comics and things like that but also kind of um, the jokes he cracks and those sorts of things they're as much Spider-Man as the ability to do what a spider can as it were and I think this game meets the right balance <laughs> and meets the right right balance in that scenario of occasionally you have to be Peter and you have to talk to people and you have to do those sorts of things rather than just solving every problem by oh yeah I'm Spider-Man I can just shoot some webs at that and that'll fix that problem he has to do other things as whilst you're, spy, whilst you're being Peter which I think works really well that being said, I think the mechanic of not being Spider-Man is slightly overused in the game, and occasionally you are another character. Um, I think there's only two, which is Mary Jane Watson, the main love interest of Peter Parker, and Miles Morales, who, it's not a spoiler alert since it doesn't happen in this game, goes on to become another version of Spider-Man in the comics. And occasionally you take the role of those two, but again, Miles doesn't have his powers in this incarnation of the game and you kind of have to again kind of use stealth to try to manipulate ways and do things to investigate and help Peter based on the relationships of those characters and an ongoing investigation into the new threat that emerges and whilst initially the the first time you were Miles I thought I think that worked really well it took a big cinematic story point of the game at, that Miles was at and then it kind of uses the fallout to be hey yeah let's use him to move around and explore what's going on and I think that worked well I think the constant use of them and the kind of repetitive nature of the way they had to move from cover to cover to cover to cover to kind of expand a bit of the story wasn't was perhaps slightly overused and I maybe would have done it maybe once or twice as a when there's a big cinematic plot point rather than kind of using it as a way to say oh this can be a break from the web swinging stuff for a while let's just put you in the shoes of Mary Jane which you know I'm sure some people enjoy but I just found slightly repetitive um, the other criticism of the game I would probably have is that the side missions aren't great story is brilliant and I've deliberately kind of not touched on that so as not to give spoiler alerts since it's a very very new game being released um, as it was kind of uh, the beginning of September but the story worked really well it uses a lot of Spider-Man's kind of main enemies that people will know and recognise and, and is really enjoyable and the side quests they seem to take more of a turn on kind of focusing the idea of Spider-Man's kind of friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man rather than the big baddies that everyone knows kind of plots and some of them are quite good but some of them are very repetitive and are not particularly well thought out and they're just no they're not of the same standard as the obvious comparison of Arkham the side missions on Arkham were generally very good and occasionally there were some that weren't great but generally they're really good and the way they did that was obviously by focusing on another villain rather than the Joker um, or Scarecrow, one of the other main story villains, and oh, this person's doing this at this time, you need to sort that out and have you, and that worked really well, and I don't think the side quests in this game work as well as they did in, say, Arkham albeit the story, I think, is probably as good and is very well thought out and constructed and has big cinematic set pieces and everything that you would want all in all, the game is is genuinely really good, it's not hugely long, I would say maybe 15 20 hours and there is obviously side quests and there are things you can do to be a completionist and you kind of can solve neighbourhood crimes and do those sorts of things as well. 
but the game does an excellent job of putting you in the shoes not just of Spider-Man but also Peter Parker and I think it finds that balance just right and it does a lot of the things that other Spider-Man games in the past have done wrong it gets those right and so that when you are playing it you do feel like Spider-Man it is really cool zipping around New York City it is really fun dropping down behind some enemies and kind of breaking up a crime that's in progress even if it's on a really small scale because it's really fun to be Spider-Man and jump around and use your kind of spider sense to dodge out of the way and spray people with a webbing in their face so they look really stupid That that's genuinely fun and they've nailed that in this game they've nailed that fun aspect that the kind of Spider-Man comics and the film, the successful films put across so yeah it was, it was really enjoyable um, and definitely didn't disappoint Excellent. Uh, this this is a game that I nearly bought, uh, but then I thought Red Dead was coming, and I thought I'd, I really don't have time to be going into two huge games. Although it doesn't sound like Spider Man's as long as I thought, but uh, this will be one I'll be buying eventually. I kind of enjoyed the other Spider Man games, um, but yeah, they weren't quite as good as they appeared to be. I remember one thing I took issue with with was the idea that you could swing from the clouds because your webs never seem to connect to anything in the original Spider Man games. Which, again, I think is something they have solved well in this, actually. There are areas of the map where if there aren't any tall buildings around, like Central Park's a good example. If you take certain routes across Central Park, you try and web swing and you realise, oh, I can't, there's nothing to swing to, and you kind of fall to the ground. Um, And it does do a good job of that. If there's not a lot of tall buildings in the area, there is only so high up you can get and then continue web swinging. You kind of reach the top of the buildings and you try and web swing and nothing happens. And instead, you kind of fall to the ground in a dive until you're at the right level that you can get some purchase on a building or a statue or a tree or something like that and swing away again. Um, So it does solve that issue of being able to swing anywhere from seemingly nothing. Excellent. Uh, Dave, I know you've got uh, a PS4. Any interest in this or played it at all? Um, No, I've not played it. I was vaguely interested, but um, it's not a character that I know, I realise. that It's it's a character that I have, I am aware of, I know who Spider-Man is. But unlike, say, Arkham, I, I was as much playing that for Joker as I was for Batman, you know? And it's, so it's, to me, I don't really know enough about it, and so that has always kind of meant it's not very high up on my list. I'm not I'm not a comic book reader, not any opposed to it, I just never have. So yeah, so I don't really get who the bad guy would be and I feel like that's a big part of it for me. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, you could probably sit and tell me, but that's not going to change my feelings on it. Fair enough. Uh, Clive, any interest in this at all? Um, yeah, yeah, I am interested. Um, similar to Dave, though, I'm not that invested in Spider-Man as a character. Uh, so I'm not as excited as some people, but I do really want to check it out because a lot of the gameplay sounds uh, unique enough. Just yeah, all the things I've been hearing about it are really good. So this is definitely one I'll get probably at Christmas, like when it's a uh, you know because because I don't care about work practice, I'm going to wait till it's five quid. No, <laughs> I will. Uh, yeah, I'll get it at Christmas, hopefully. So we'll see. It's just there's so much stuff out at the minute and things that I'm playing, so it's hard to fit everything in. And when every game's like thirty hours long. It's yeah, pretty difficult to fit everything in. So uh, it, I, this is definitely one I will get round to for sure. So and I'm excited to do it. And I'm, I'm glad you like it, Flux. Uh, right. Well, speaking of those other games you've been playing, Clive, um, I understand one of them <laughs> is a new Pokemon game. Now, 
I was going to just... It's not new. Well, it's not that new, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, all right, newish. Newish to, to this pod, at least. Um, now, I don't think I'm going to allow you to do this without singing a little bit of the Pokemon theme. Uh, I mean, I was just going to talk... Because um, of the time we've got, I was just going to go FIFA. But I can I can talk a little bit about Pokemon. Because uh, Beck is needing to use the hairdryer in here. <laughs> well... Let, let, a noisy let's shelf Pokemon for the, for another day then. Uh, yeah, let's let's shelf Pokemon, but I will prepare it and I'll in fact I'll sing it with a guitar. Good, because I've I've not finished it yet, so I'll wait till I've finished it anyway. It's Pokemon Crystal, uh, which is yeah very old. Oh, okay, I didn't <laughs> realize it's, um, that it's one. Ju- Even I've played that. It's <laughs> yeah, I've got it on 3DS um, on the virtual console. I'm really enjoying it, but I'll talk about uh, FIFA 19 just quickly because um, yeah, I, I'm historically a Pez man yeah last last in the last in the FIFA 18s Pez 18 I much preferred Pez but everyone all my friends were playing FIFA which is annoying um, I found FIFA a bit I've always found it like too polished and too worried about making sure that all the animations are accurate rather than making it kind of fun to play and I found like for example when you can play in the Swiss League and players you know FC Lugano and every pass is pinpoint yeah, so something's wrong and, <laughs> and, and, and that was what was happening with, uh, with FIFA 18 however FIFA 19 I heard, um, I heard good things about it and I got the demo and I was like this is really good this feels a bit more like Pez and yeah I've been really really enjoying it and the thing that's always been way better about FIFA is like kind of single player experience is just much better and um, you know ultimate team's really good and um, the seasons and things if you want to do those are much better uh, and more well polished than um Konami's uh, pairs yeah it's it's it keeps you playing more because generally I do I play against people a fair bit but most of my time is playing on my own and you can play ultimate team online there's so many different ways to play it now like I play squad battles which is against against other people's teams but it's the computer, basically. Um, I usually play like that. I occasionally play Division Rivals, which is against people who are matched uh, kind of at a similar level. And, you know, Ultimate Team is kind of pay to win in a lot of respects. Like, you can buy packs with real money. But um, I feel like this year it's got much better in that you get really good rewards. Um, I've not bought... I think I bought, like, one pack at the start because I was feeling a bit flush. Uh, <laughs> but I've not really bought any packs since. And you don't really need to. You can build up a really good team just from earning coins from playing matches and... Um, going along and I've got I've certainly the best team I've ever had on a FIFA Ultimate team and I've not been playing all that much so it's certainly possible I just think but the main thing for me is that the gameplay has to be fun it doesn't matter if all the stuff around it you know all the stuff around it's always been good with FIFA but the gameplay itself I was like Ugh, I don't like it but this time it just feels better the passes aren't pinpoint every time it's a bit more like random the occasionally the players are mistouch or the ball will bobble around and you get more sort of Random goals where not every goal is exactly the same, which I think was a thing with FIFA before. Um, if you knew that if you're in a certain position and you press a certain but- button along with shoot, it was probably going to go in. Um, that's not really the case with this one, and it feels more. It feels good to score a goal. Like any previous FIFA, I've never. I've like oh, okay, right, that was a goal. It just doesn't feel. It didn't have the kind of weight to it that Pez did when you scored a goal. This one, it definitely feels much better, and it is really exciting when you do score a goal. And I've just really enjoyed the gameplay. And I've not even really got into the sort of deep gameplay of things like um, timed finishing, where you've got to press uh, the shoot button again exactly when the foot connects with the ball to give you a better chance to score. That, you know, I'll leave that to the pro players. <laughs> not not the kind of thing I'm particularly interested in. But, um, yeah, just the general gameplay of, you know, simple passing it around, um, the shooting, the tackling, all that stuff feels really good. I love the way that um, they've kind of nerfed pace. It used to be before that if you had a guy who had ridiculous pace, then he was just going to be stupendously good, regardless if he was good at anything else. Um, that's been 
uh, hit on the head a little bit. So you can actually use players now that aren't always uh, just completely rapid. So it's a bit, it gives a bit more flexibility when you're building your ultimate team. Um, to be honest, I can't really do a thorough review because all I've done is play Ultimate Team. Um, there is some other modes, like they've thrown in some fun things like long range mode and things you can play against other players where long uh, long range go- goals count as two goals instead of one goal. And for example, survival mode, which is quite fun, which I played with my friend, which every time you score, one of your players gets sent off um, at random, which <laughs> gets pretty interesting when it's like 6 5 and there's only 10 players left in total on the pitch. Um, so that's quite fun. And you, things like that are things that I think they should have done a long time ago because you can make it interesting. Headers and volleys, things like that. Um, there's all those kind of modes. There's also the journey mode, which I am not interested in at all. It's like the story mode of Alex Hunter, and you can, but apparently it's just a bit too much training in there and it's a bit too tedious even though the story is good so i don't know if i'll ever get around to playing that but it's certainly been well worth worth the 40 quid i paid for it just for the amount of fun i've had playing um ultimate team and playing against uh friends and things and yeah i've really it's, i'd have to say it's the football game i've enjoyed most since pez 6 which is a good god knows 10 years old probably more and um, so <laughs> uh, yeah i'm really really liking it and yeah it's been great Excellent. Never thought I'd see the day when you were reviewing a FIFA game. Um, no, I didn't. As well. um, <laughs> no, I, I, it came completely unexpectedly. Like I say, I thought, I'll give this demo a shot. And I was just like, well, you know what? This is really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, yeah, it's, it's it's been great. There's still problems with it, There's you know, but they're, they're patching things and going about it the right way. And yeah, it just, like I say, the main thing for me is the gameplay has to be fun. But Whereas I bought Pez last year and enjoyed the gameplay, I didn't keep playing it for very long because there wasn't much incentive. Like there wasn't really a good ultimate team mode or something to build your team up. Whereas this, I've kept playing because yeah, there is that stuff around it that kind of keeps you going. It's like oh, I want to earn some more coins so I can buy such and such, and yeah, that's what kind of keeps you invested. So yeah, I'd certainly recommend it if you're a football fan. I think it's really good. I've not played uh, Pez 19, so I can't compare it to that, but certainly it compares favourably to Pez 18. I would say. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, right, uh, Dave, have you got any other games you'd like to talk about today? Um, no, not specifically. I think it's interesting that um, since the last time we spoke, there's been at least one other massive release that we've all played, or a bunch of us have played previously, and that's Tomb Raider. Has anyone played Tomb Raider, the most recent one? Not yet. Um, no, I've not. Again, it's... Well, my list, and yeah. yeah, I do want to play it, but I was kind of. I think you mentioned this last time, Dave, that you were kind of a bit burnt out on it because it was. Yeah. We kind of knew what we were going to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just it's it's fa- it's it seems interesting to me that um, there's a game that this, the franchise is, is is massive, and then this one seems to have slipped totally under the radar through kind of being overshadowed by a whole bunch of other. Yeah, it's, it's been a sure. quite a period for massive massive triple a games mm. yeah this and card and yeah another tomb raider another red there's there's battlefield coming out there's mm. just monstrous it is it's is, is, i think tomb raider they should do they should they always stick to this release date and they always don't sell very well and they always pick a week where there's something else massive coming mm. out i wish they'd just do i think what they need to do is do like an april i don't know pick some time when it's a bit dead yeah <laughs> and release it then because there'd get, be way more talk about it like you say it just gets completely lost it might be great but um it just gets lost in all the other games that are coming out and then it doesn't really have chance to succeed absolutely right oh well, it sounds like it's about time to uh, let Beck use the hairdryer then. Um, 
That sounds <laughs> yeah, like an idiot. I think though. so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your choice of words, not mine. Um, Clive, it's roundup time. <laughs> Um, r- r- roundup time. Yeah. Okay, that's a new one. Um, I'm just waiting. <laughs> which, loading. Please wait. Google uh, informs me about my sheet, which has got all my information on that one. Yeah. Plug time. You can follow us on at Stick Around Cag Cagcast. I still haven't, I haven't got my sheet. God damn it, Google. Fuck you. Tensions killing right. me. Don't worry. Kind of catches in the edit. Catches <laughs> in the edit. Yeah. Um, get in contact with the show stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com or stickaroundpodcast.com slash contact for a form um, you can also find articles on stickaroundpodcast.com um, mainly film reviews at the minute that I'm doing but hopefully I'm going to do some music and games and start doing some of that stuff when I get a bit more time um, you can follow us on at stickaroundcast on Twitter that's the best place to get news about when new articles are coming out or anything that we're doing on the website or when a new podcast comes out or anything really so I'd recommend following us there um, slash stick around podcast on Facebook is basically a regurgitated Twitter feed. So if you don't have a Twitter uh, and you use Facebook more often, then go like us on that or just like us on it anyway because it'll be good to get some likes. And stick around podcast on Instagram for some photos now and again. And finally, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around if you want to throw some money our way um, that we that then goes to shelter in our name um, to help with the, the kind of crisis of homelessness in the UK at the minute. That would be much appreciated. And uh, I said that finally, I lied. Um, finally. Please give us five-star reviews on iTunes, you shits. Because, <laughs> yeah, really helps. So, really bumps us up in the... I know no one uses iTunes for uh, podcasts anymore, at least no one I know. But, well, Al, do you use it? <laughs> yeah, no one, I don't no know why one I thought fucking that. cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one that matters. <laughs> won't, won't answer the question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he's no comment has answered the question yeah. for us there. Um, <laughs> Nerd. Um, get on there, five star review it. Um, it helps us out and gets more listeners to the show. Yeah, so Al, uh, back over to you. Seeing as you can say bye to us. I don't want to do that bit. <laughs> okay, well, um, I've heard that James Flux is wanting to say goodbye. Flux, give us an interesting goodbye. Well, that's pretty. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So long, folks. Okay. Good. I like it. Can you beat that, Dave Peeling? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Clive Fisher, anything to say? Um, Be kind to each other, people. Oh, that's just nice. I was going to say something mean. Okay. I'll I'll feed us in. Um, Come back next time when we're probably talking about either TV or film. Um... Nice doing this yeah. again, guys. Been too long. Show. Yeah, for sure. Right. Splendid hosting, Al. Well Thank done, you very Tata. much. Um, remember, guys, stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around